You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the football grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan, and I think this is the happiest you will ever see me after a loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is about as pissed off as you're going to see me because the second worst thing that can happen in sports happened tonight. Fucking Georgia won another national championship with that little twerp of a quarterback in that bitch of a coach they have so i'm gonna I mean, stetson bennett's like almost my age i don't think he's a twerp oh he's a twerp he's a little shit i mean he's a guy that basically you know was born on third base and thinks he hits home runs because he's on the like one of the greatest teams of all time i i just i don't like that little fucker but i'm gonna we'll refrain from that let's talk about things that Put us all in a good mood like we're in the playoffs. We're in the playoffs. This game didn't matter. I don't care that we lost. 22-16, if anything, I'm encouraged by some of the things that I saw in this game. And you saw me after the Eagles game. You, or I'm sorry, the Texans game. You saw mm-hmm. me after the Lions game. That Texans game was a win. How happy was I after that game? Not so much. That's Not how so I imagine much. a lot of Eagles fans are after this game. Do you agree with that? Yeah, you know, this was a very strange week, uh, just watching games all around the league. And I'm wondering, you know, do coaches really think that health and rest is more important than seeds? I mean, all these teams that had something to play for for seeding, they all looked either flat or lost. And I I, I liked some of the, the crazy shit around the league. The Lions beating the Packers for no reason other than for pride and for fun. Yeah, that's that, that's you know, when you want to talk about Coach of the Year, and that may be one of the topics we come up with later. Who potentially be Coach of the Year? Someone like Dan Campbell, who has his team. They've already lost, but he's already established a culture with that team that we're still going to knock out Green Bay. We're still playing for something, as opposed to a bunch of stiffs who just you know the season's over. I don't care anymore. I'm thinking about, you know, my first 18 holes on Tuesday. Um, kudos to a team like that. And, you know, and, you know, and kudos to the New York football giants for taking a meaningless game and really squeezing maximum benefit out of a, you know, blah situation. The Lions game is insane, too, because they do their best. Well, they do some amount of effort, the NFL. Um, to schedule games at the same time so that teams aren't in a situation where they're not playing for anything, which is exactly the situation that the Lions were in. That game normally would have been scheduled at the same time as the Seattle game to keep uh, the interest flowing, to keep some incentive. And competitive balance a little too, yeah. And and Dan Campbell brings the Detroit Lions to Green Bay on Mm -hmm. the road at night with now nothing to play for and gets them – to go out there and knock the Packers out of the playoffs. That was like, that had all the makings of like a Packers season ticket holder being like, yeah, that's that's up there for one of the best games I went to. Well, you know, they won, let they me, were in. Let me tell you a little insight about that game. So we have friends who are from Detroit 
And back in early October, they bought tickets to that game because they were dirt cheap. And it was one of those things where you can never get a ticket to Green Bay because the tickets are always so expensive. This is when the Packers were starting to circle the drain and they got two tickets. And you could hear a lot of Pack um, Lion fans there at, at the games last night because, you know, Green Bay had this late run in, in December. But at the time when they were dumping tickets, they thought their season was over. And kind of relating to that, is there anything more overrated than the Lambeau mystique and home field advantage there and Aaron Rodgers and even Brett Favre? Grump, let me ask you a question. When was the last time Green Bay won an important game at home? I mean, how many times have they blown a playoff game, an NFC championship game, a win and you're in the playoff game? They they have an awful record of winning at home. I know I know there's this mystique about Lambeau and, you know, all the ghosts in the frozen tundra and having Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre before them, but that is an overrated place and they have choked time and time again in big spots at home. I'm like struggling to think of the last time the Packers went to the Super Bowl it was 2010, right? I believe so. Yeah, the that one was, that was the a one wild Aaron Rodgers. So they yeah, but that's they didn't have a single home game. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, I mean, for a team for the last you know 25 years has had two of arguably the 10 greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. They've underachieved, and they've had talent around them as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Another um, example last night. Well, I mean, we, we kind of thought that a little bit of that was Mike McCarthy. I'm not so sure about Matt LaFleur either. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at, at a certain point, we have to start asking if Rodgers is done too. Um, obviously, he's still good to, you know, sling it in a game. But is he good to go for a 17-game season? Yeah. Is, is it a question we're going to have to start asking. In the NFC North, other news, though. Uh, so the Detroit Lions, this this year, you know, you said Dan Campbell as a Coach of the Year candidate, totally legit. Uh, their offensive coordinator, I think his name is Ben Johnson, getting a ton of head coaching interviews lined up. I believe at least three already. Um, I think that's commendable because, you know, when we were lining up to play them in, like, the middle of the year, I didn't think very much of them. And they have they had like a second half of the season complete turnaround, mm-hmm. um, where I, I think they are scoring like thirty points a game, no problem. Um, I would not be surprised if he winds up with a head coaching job somewhere else. And um, this is the best Jared Goff has looked in his career, right? You'd say this last run of seven, eight games. I guess you know. I, I didn't really pay a ton of attention to him with the Rams, but I it certainly wasn't blowing my socks off, you know, like mm-hmm. a number one overall pick would uh, normally. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that much. Uh, right. Other news kind of involving the NFC North, Lovey Smith screwing the Texans by going for the win and getting them out of the first overall draft spot and getting okay. it to the Bears. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with NFC North, but okay, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we've said this. You've said this a hundred times. I say it all the time. Players and coaches don't tank. Front offices and fans want teams to tank. And 
my guess, if you want to, I guess, connect the dots, is that <laughs> Lovey Smith was told to tank. He said, I don't do that. I'm a head coach and going for two and all this stuff. And he finds himself looking for a job on this Black Monday. Yeah, it's uh, really quite something. I'm trying to think if there's anything to compare it to. I mean, it's like, I guess it's sort of like that scene in Moneyball where like, they just keep the, the the manager who's like one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's like last roles before he died. Art Howe, yeah, yeah, and uh, he just continues to play players to the until the point where uh, GM has to trade them away yeah. to get him to play the players he wants and the positions he wants. That's well, like the only other thing I can think of. Well, like it, well Miami last year wasn't wasn't a deal that he was offering like fifty thousand dollars to throw games. So Allegedly, can... yeah. I don't even know what happened to that. Lawsuit. Well, it, they got a fine for it, didn't they? And, and it's just, isn't uh, the owner suspended for a spell because of that? I don't know. I honestly didn't follow it that closely. I didn't. Yeah, realize it had there's something to that they, they got in trouble for it. So allegedly, or not, there was ramifications. Good, but yeah. yeah, you know, coaches when tanking is putting the different players on the field. Once they're on the field, you coach. You coach right. the way you coach, and so. players play. I mean, does Davis Mills really care about? The team that he probably won't be on next year, and their ability to get the guy that's probably going to replace him. No, he's putting oh. a, he's put a resume out there. Remember, yeah, you, know, you might laugh at that. It was like Davis Mills isn't getting a starting quarterback job. He might in the USFL. He might in the XFL. You like don't a nice know backup that. job. He he could get a starting job in an alternate league, making decent money, continuing to work on his game, and building his resume. Till he gets called. I mean, there's a million things that Davis Mills is going to do. Yeah. The last thing Davis Mills cares about is the first overall pick next year that's likely to replace him. I mean, let's be very honest. I mean, you know, if a team is bad enough that it's earned the first overall pick, the odds are that roster is going to have to be flipped. And two, three years out, the 46 guys on this roster right now, a vast, vast majority of them will never see that team in the rebuild mode. So, getting the fruits of that number one pick and, and, and of a rebuild. So, you know, to ask them to go ahead and lay down, like, again, where every game, you know, the average NFL career is four years. They're not doing it. That That's not how they're wired. That's not how they are. So, again, tanking is something where, you know, the talking heads can talk about, the, the fans want, because they, they're, you know, fans aren't with a team for four years. They're with teams for life. And... They have the patience to wait it out, and they know that you know getting this pick will help me five and six years down the road. So, yeah, Lovey unfortunately didn't uh, <laughs> play by the, the company rules, and you know he'll he's on to greener pastures. Is it back to college? You think for him? How old is Lovey Smith? I mean, his I beard. He, I, he looks like Santa Claus, but <laughs> I mean, is he actually a good coach? Um. Well, he was at Illinois before this, right? He was at the Bucks. Then he went to Illinois. This is his second chance. Well, would you would you credit um, Bielma with Illinois' success this year or Lovey? Oh, uh, Brent Bielma. Um, yeah, you know, much former bad, Giants coach. Yeah, former SEC coach. You know, who was not a, not a bad recruiter at Arkansas. So, yeah. No, but I mean. Lovey was at Illinois for three, four years. I think he built up most of the roster that he had field out there. I don't know. I don't know that he would be terrible for college. Lovey. Yeah, I don't know how old he is either. He looks like I said again. The beard is deceiving, but I don't know. I don't think he's that old. 
what would you consider too old to like be a head coach? He's sixty four. I guess that's too old, old for college. Yeah, I think. I don't know if it. Yeah, it. It's it's a little older than I thought. Yeah, I, I think for he was college. Like Ten years younger than that. Yeah. Speaking think... of younger guys, though. Yes. Cliff Klingsbury and Kyler Murray, forever tied. Cliff Klingsbury is out in Arizona. Um, could you see that one coming? Yes. I mean, there's been rumors about that for quite a while now that he'd well, be on the hot seat. Yeah, but I mean, he hasn't been there that long. Uh, four years? Yeah. Four um, years. When he was hired, a... did you see that coming? Um, I knew he was very young when he came over. And, um, he was. They made the move. They had drafted Josh Rosen, and they went, went, immediately drafted um, Kyler Murray. Murray. He was tied with him. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like nobody ever thought he was a really good head coach. A lot of, you know, listening to, again, I don't follow the Cardinals as much as I do NFC East teams or even other NFC teams, but uh, it seems like there was a lot of things like clock management, game management, questions about him. And, uh, you know, they they just didn't really win. And, you know. Yeah, but I mean, when he was coming out of college, he was a hot name. Came out of Oklahoma, right? Uh, Texas Tech. Texas Tech. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, he was I a hot, that was like an he exciting. He was kind of like hire. an up and coming name, but I don't. It was a little bit of a surprise that he jumped to the NFL. I mean, it's kind of like a, you know, like a Kirby Smart. Like this guy's a young, innovative coach, but doesn't really been thought about in NFL circles. Um, especially those. Especially those uh, Big 12 teams where they just sling the ball around. Yeah, they, just throw, they just chuck the ball. Yeah, it's a bit of a different game. Um, what do you think this means for Kyler Murray? I mean, Kyler Murray is also a, a very talented quarterback. Uh, if Even if he isn't successful, there's certainly somebody out there who's going to think that they have something that they can work with. And if not, there's always the Jets, right? <laughs> right. I mean, the list of possible, you know— Second chance opportunities for for quarterbacks to go to the Jets is a long list of those guys out there because they need a quarterback for sure. I I mean, do you see? I mean, this is way out conjecture. Mm-hmm. Crystal ball, no nothing to to back up this claim. Do you think Kyler Murray is an Arizona Cardinal next year? Uh, in two years. Well, what's his injury story? I mean, is he even going to be a, a, available to start the beginning of next year? I have no idea. I no clue. don't. I don't think he's going to be available at the very very beginning of the season. Um, my can my crystal ball is as soon as it makes economic sense, they will move on from him. I think, like you said, it was kind of a package deal that you know they brought in Kingsbury and it was like, I have a vision. We're going to draft this guy. I can make this guy work. I'm going to tailor an offense around this guy. And then when your benefactor is gone. You just become a guy, and then another another coach comes in, and we saw it with the Giants. And if it's not my guy, you know, I'm going to move on from you most likely. So my guess is he probably won't. Yeah, he only just got the surgery on his knee like last week. So yeah, I don't think he's, he's not going to be ready. No, I mean unless he's Odell Beckham, I don't think he'll be ready in time. <laughs> um. Boy, those those free agent signings sure quieted down those rumors. Who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Kyler Murray signed a big extension, so he's actually stuck there until like twenty twenty seven. 
Yeah. So well, well, there you go. Boy, that, that is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not aware of that. All right, then. Um, new GM's problem, I guess. But I, it's not. It, you could have worse things to, to work with, I guess. Yeah. Um, let's move it to the NFC East. Mm. Based on the way Dallas played, based on the way they've been playing, we've talked about this. Dan Quinn is already getting interviews. I believe he has an interview with Denver lined up. I think both of those guys are gone. I think Kellen Moore is going to leave too. Uh, I, I think, think Dan all, Quinn is gone. I think, I think all three of them are going to be gone. I think one won't be by choice though, right? No, no. Uh, I thought, you know, all along that, you know, Sean Payton sniffed that he was interested in the job. I thought, you know, in a, in a, in one scenario that even if Mike McCarthy had some success with Dallas, that Jim, um, uh, Jerry Jones would want to move on and bring his guy in. But, you know, that was a pretty, a pretty pathetic performance against Washington in week 18. And if they lay an egg against a very beatable Tampa Bay team and they go out on a whimper um, at the end of the season when, you know, I was saying, you know, they're the team I kind of feared. Remember, it was like that couple of weeks stretch when I was like, I think I might fear them more than than Philly. They were playing very different at that time. Yeah, exactly. And if they kind of go out like this and Dak is showing regression and, you know, there's feelers out there from some, you know, a coach like uh, even like a Sean McVay, who, you know, the rumors are he wants to leave the leave the Rams. I don't think Mike McCarthy's long for uh, being in Arlington. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Um, so basically, if the playoffs start and it's business as usual for Dallas, he's going to be axed. I would say so. But what if Sean Payton can't be landed by Jerry Jones? I mean, I'm being, I'm not, I'm playing devil's advocate. Like, if Sean Payton is the white whale that can't be caught by Jerry Jones, what happens? Does he still fire McCarthy and just do something else? No, I think. I think if he can't get uh, Sean Payton, I think he's gonna st- he'll stick around for another year or so. Um, I think this is a move because this is the guy he wants, and he could use the cover of well they lost a game. I'm moving on, but I don't think it's a, you know, he's he's like you, you use the analogy whale. I mean, Jerry Jones is a you know he's a big whale hunter, you know, big whale fisherman. He's not gonna you know, make the mistake of hiring like a Wade Phillips again or some retread or, you know, he's going to try to get a splashy name. Maybe what he does is he waits one more year at Mike McCarthy. Sean McVay takes his, uh, his gap year and, and relaxes with that wife of his, that beautiful wife of he's got. And then he realizes he wants to coach again. And then he comes to Dallas. I mean, Dallas, as much as we kind of make fun of Dallas and everything, it is still the, you know, the, the signature franchise in this league and the biggest one that, you know, that moves the needle more than anything else. And uh, it's a very attractive job. Dallas is the official mascot of the NFL. Sure. Absolutely. Um, last thing in the NFC East before this game, the Eagles offensive coordinator, whose name I forgot and am too lazy to look up and don't care about, <laughs> uh, is getting interviews as well for head coaching jobs. Um, I guess, do you think that much of the Eagles' success this year on offense 
is due to him, Jalen Hurts, or Nick Sirianni? I think or it's all think the it's above. Any, it's all the above. Yeah. Okay. I think you know it's they have a you know a, a pretty you know exciting offense, pretty well designed and game planned, but you have to also execute it. So I you know I think it's a combination of all three things. Okay. Um, all right, then let's get into their their fantastic game plan that netted twenty two points against the Giants' second and third stringers. Mm-hmm. Most important stat from this game for the Giants. What do you think it is? Uh, one injury. That is correct. That is the only thing that truly, truly matters. Everything after this that we're talking about is projection and um, I guess just thoughts. Yeah. Just thoughts. Yeah. Other notes. Yeah. So thoughts. I, I think, started well hang on one second. I started this episode by saying that I have to imagine that Eagles fans feel the way or something similar to the way I felt after the Texans game, which was also a win but just felt like flat and it didn't feel like we were going to come out of it anytime soon. It felt conservative, it felt lame, it felt weak. Um this is slightly different. Yeah. Um some of this was they wanted to win this for the seeding, but it wasn't critical. They have a hurt quarterback that they clearly did not run the way that they run. Mm-hmm. Um, the designed runs that he took off on, or any time he took off, he was under very obvious instructions to get down the moment he saw somebody coming at him. Because right. he took a sack on a scramble. He literally kneeled down two yards behind the line of scrimmage. There wasn't really anybody that close to him. He could have not done that right Uh, this was not worth that also he has a hurt throwing shoulder so he overthrew some balls as well although i don't really think he's what you'd normally consider an mvp quarterback to be when throwing the ball um that is irrelevant his throwing was clearly hampered by uh you know just he's got a squeaky shoulder right now Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. um that being said they still looked flat they still look shitty I I think in the NFL and college as well, motivation and preparation before a game, they go hand in hand. And I think knowing that this game is relatively meaningless, they had a bit of a lead early. Um, I, if I'm an Eagle fan, let's start with the fan perspective, I guess. How would you feel? I guess if I'm the typical meathead Philly fan, I'm mad that I didn't blow out a division rival, a team I hate, and a team that this organization seems to center around hurting, and it's the Giants. But if I'm the smart Eagle fan, which is kind of an oxymoron, I would be concerned more than about to the points you made about Hurts, that he doesn't look 100% and doesn't look close to being 100%. And I know there's a bye week coming up, another week, that he gets to rest, but if he doesn't have significant improvement physically, they're not beating anybody with that, uh, you know, him being 75%, 60%. Because so much of what he does is his physical, you know, abilities and his ability to run, his ability to create plays. And if they're asking him just to, you know, don't get hurt out there or, you know, be something and he's not, that's a major problem for this team. 
I mean, we're talking about a guy that we think gets to get some serious consideration for MVP, the most valuable player in this league. And if you're not being who you are, you're not MVP anymore. You're just a guy. So I would be more concerned more about his health than the flatness or just kind of the running through the motions of a game that at the end of the day really doesn't mean much of anything. Mission was accomplished. I think that this is a game that the average Philly fan is never going to remember. Um, but I do think that if they are one and done, they will reference this game as the indicator that something was wrong and nothing was adjusted to or, or whatever. I think there will be carryover if they're one and done. Um, especially if they lose to a perceived inferior team. Now, I know they're the one seed, so everyone is technically inferior, but I mean, if they're not playing a hot team, let's say they wind up having to play Tampa Bay or something like that, and they end up losing. Right, right. I, I don't even know if that's possible. I mean, if, if, they, if they play and they lose to either like a Dallas or a San Francisco, that's like, well, those are, you know, solid teams. I mean, right. Dallas, I understand what happened this week. But, you know, again, they're still a solid team. San Francisco, very strong team. But if they lose to Seattle, <laughs> That's they're not in the same league as, as Philadelphia when they're firing in all cylinders. No, no way. Um, and just in general, like like even their offensive line didn't look like it was. This looked like a a, a game in which one team was better than the other, but not super clearly. Um, most of what the what the problem was was Giants on offense for like the first half did basically nothing. Yeah. Um. And I mean, at that point, it's not hard to just say, well, I mean, he was a third string quarterback, not even like backup. That's like the backup's backup. This was his first ever start. Right. Um, that's really, you know, at that point, you know, you'd, you'd expect if I told you, let, let me let me start this way. Three weeks ago, if I told you this game wouldn't mean anything and we were going to play Davis Webb, but the Eagles had everything to play for. How many turnovers do you think the Giants have in this game? What would be your answer? Hmm. You know, something part of me is like, well, if there's nothing for us to play for. We're going to play so vanilla and just, you know, play to not have turnovers. It'd probably be lower than you think it would be. Okay. But I mean, would it be higher than zero? Yeah. I mean, to, I think. I think every game you play, I don't expect to play turnover free. So I would say like, you know, one to two. I don't believe we had a turnover in this game, right? There's no fumble, right? I don't believe so. No. Uh, I mean, Davis would almost through a couple of, it's not, see, I, I think that, that that's being kind of a, uh, that's being pretty wild. Uh, as long as Davis Webb is throwing 20 passes, which I don't think you can go through a whole game and not throw 20. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that there's at least two picks in there. Yeah. <laughs> and, but and I mean, there, and there was not, but there were two pick opportunities. So, but also, you know, those 20 passes that he threw about whatever he did. I mean, most of those are extremely safe. You know, he wasn't trying to thread any needles. He wasn't really trying to, I mean, the, the nicest throw he threw all game was the one to, to Galladay. That was the most risky throw, you know, in high, uh, you know, degree of difficulty throw the whole game. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I think I would be thinking more on the fact that he'd be under pressure. He'd be running while throwing, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
which which was the case. I mean, at one point he almost had a highlight play where he kind of pirouetted out of a sack and threw downfield to a wide open Marcus Johnson, and I th- he just oh, he just sailed it on him. Right, that right. was really it. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I thought Davis Webb for a first ever start and playing against starters for that matter. I thought he played well. 23 of 40 for 168 yards and a touchdown uh, and six runs for 40 yards and a touchdown in which he trucked Reed Blankenship. Yeah. Trucked him. I would say the biggest knock I have on him is that he ran back-to-back delay of game penalties. Yeah. At one point. That could be from not playing and, you know. I mean, there's a million reasons. I mean, it's just a game situation. They were in the red zone, I'm sure. There's a million things, you know. Yeah. Um, I have a weird take on this. Back-to-back delay of game penalties, or if you call a timeout after a delay of game penalty, I think you should get another penalty. <laughs> I think I think that second delay of game should be ten yards. <laughs> it's like you're this incompetent. You. <laughs> well, I mean, think about what delay of game is. You're penalizing. You're being penalized for wasting everyone's time. Now you've wasted it twice. <laughs> I think you should get double the penalty. You should get ten yards on that second one. If you use a timeout to avoid delay of game, you should. I don't know. Get two timeouts taken away or some bullshit like that. I mean, mm. <laughs> at a certain point, that is more than just incompetence. That is severe yeah. incompetence. Yeah. Um, and as it is, I think the NFL lets the play clock go a little too wild. You know? Well, you know my stance on that. I went on a rant on that earlier this year. And just yeah. in general, they, they, there's too lenient. It, the clock is the clock. No right. looking around. Like, yeah. come on here. Stop wasting my time. I know it's one second at a time, but we already stand around and do nothing. Rules are rules. They're objective. Man. When the clock strikes zero, not when I look down and look up again and do the hokey pokey and then decide to blow the whistle. <laughs> um, Lawrence Cager. 8 of 10 for 70 yards. You know, not super impressive with, like, route running. He had a couple of nice catches, I guess, but more so with what he did when he had the ball in his hands. Looked elusive. Looked like somebody that maybe not the worst backup in the world. And this is a converted wide receiver to tight end. Just thought I'd mention it. Um, Mm -hmm. He did have a significant role in this offense for a brief period of time. Uh, I want to say, like, maybe three games. He was kind of uh, garnering a decent amount of targets from Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a, a little reminder that Lawrence Cager, when he has the ball in his hands, can make NFL starters miss. And he did just that. On offense, the only other thing I really want to talk about, you already mentioned it, Kenny Galladay's touchdown. Um, hmm. Do you want to talk about Kenny Galladay for a minute? I do. Because, you know, he has become the butt of every joke of Giant fans. And, you know, the situation, I think it's – it's been poorly handled from the day he was basically on this team by two coaching staffs. Um, you know, here's my take. If you decide that this is not my guy and I am not playing him, that means you never play him. You know, to bring him back in, you know, garbage time situation in the last game of the year when you're clearly not playing any of your starters, I think that's just shitty by this coaching staff to do. And I'm, you know, that was a that was an amazing catch he had. I thought it was a great fuck you to this coaching staff. I've said it all season that you can't tell me with one of the worst wide receiving cores in the league right now because of injury and you know lack of depth and all that stuff that 
you couldn't find any situation to get this guy on the field and play. And exactly the situation he scored that touchdown is what I've been calling for all year. Like a guy with his size, you can't you can't design one or two plays to get him out there. And, and, and you know, I don't know. It just was, you know, it was very. I I, I think again, and I'm not going to go back into the whole thing again with Kadarius Tony, but they were trying to prove points this year and they were trying to build culture and. You know, we'll see what that means going forward. And, you know, so far it looks like the culture that's being built on this team is fantastic. But all of a sudden, a funny thing happened on the way to building culture. You became a playoff team. And maybe having Kenny Galladay, maybe running a few routes a game or more than just a few routes a game, maybe might have been the difference maybe between being a, you know, a six seed and a five seed. I don't know. So... I don't want to say it's it's not vindication, but I, I just think it was poorly handled how they used him all year or lack of using him. And it was just, um, I'm glad for him that he had kind of an FU touchdown at the end. Because I had a very similar one when, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here again, but when I was in seventh grade on my junior high baseball team, you know, I was a seventh grader and eighth graders were, you know, much better than me. So I rode the bench the whole year. But in the last game of the year, I played, I had a double, and I turned to look at the coach. I'm like, you know something? You might have got more of those if you played me more this year. So I don't know what that kind of equals to, but it's just like I, I think there's, I think there was an opportunity and talent that was wasted. You know, forget what the contract was, forget everything else, and maybe there is a role for him in this in this game Sunday and the rest of this playoff run. I know he's not going to be back next year. We've made it very clear, but you know, let's just not put him back on the bench and they forget about it again. And you know, in a situation we could use his size and, uh, you know, ability, let, let, let's try to use it. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, there, there's definitely some red zone stuff in which you can no doubt use his ability. Um, the, I think the biggest problem with him is just we saw it in this game just like we saw it all year. And, and to the coaching staff's credit, during the training camp, he was getting first-team snap. He was getting all of the snap. It's not like they just jettisoned him right away. Mm-hmm. They did try and make something work. So I agree with you to an extent that I, I do think that there's something they could have done to get this body that you're stuck with onto the field to do something for you. But where it mostly comes through in which – in, in the ways he can't contribute is you look at the crossing patterns that he has in this offense and the way he tries to catch them, like in this game, just tries to body it. Mm-hmm. He does not reach out and try and catch it with his hands. And it they're incomplete like almost every time. It's only on those like those Jason Garrett routes where you just run, turn, and stop that he really has that advantage with length and the way he catches. So, I mean, I, I'm with you though. Uh I, I, I just. I mean, now it's the playoffs. I mean, yeah, now yeah. you do anything you can to win. I mean, sure. it, it's yeah. Loser go home, and he's on the roster. It's a sunk cost. It's not like you have to, you know, do it's make not a roster. Like he's getting double teamed when we do put him out there. I almost think that you put him out there, and everyone assumes he's a decoy. Why not? Right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know, and design some kind of shot to him where he has an advantage. I don't know. That would be my thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to talk about the defense here. Yeah, I want to keep this pretty brief. 
Uh, two guys that I thought looked a lot better than they have. At other well, hold times. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Look, before we go to defense, do we want to talk about Evan Neal real quick? Oh, yeah, Evan Neal looked like shit. He didn't play much this game, played only really in the beginning, but he had, I believe, two false starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's having trouble with snap counts or or, the, or just the cadence of Davis Webb. It's possible that he hasn't, you know, as a first-string guy, probably didn't work with Davis Webb all that much, but that's kind of a bad excuse when he's had some issues with that all year. Uh, but he also he struggled with speed off the edge pretty badly. Um, do you have any concerns for him in the midterm to longer term with him, or do, are you saying, are you thinking this is just he's having a rough rookie year? Let's see what happens next year with him. Yeah, I would say let him grow. Uh, my my mm-hmm. thoughts are, first of all, I don't have massive concerns with him when he's out there. Now with Daniel Jones, I mean like. I'm not truly confident that he's going to lock down the right side, but I do think that he'll win enough reps where when he does lose, it's all on the front side. Daniel Jones can see it coming. I don't think he's like right now today, a huge problem on that offensive line. So I don't think he's going to get any worse. So Mm -hmm. in the future, the midterm, no, I don't, I don't think so. I I mean, I I do think he'll get better on top of that. So I'm not concerned in the long term at all at this, at this point today. No, I'm not concerned. I'm in the same boat. Um, if this we're talking after year three or even after year two, we haven't seen the growth from year one to year two. Then you start kind of worrying a little bit. But I mean, so I've heard some people like this is Eric Flowers all over again. It's like <laughs> it's not even close to that. Yeah, relax. <laughs> Eric's Eric Flowers' first snap as a right tackle for the Giants was a tripping penalty on Yannick Ngakwe mm-hmm. uh, that I believe resulted in a safety. I believe so. Which is, boy, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, flipping it to defense. Two guys that I thought played very excellent that uh, previously have had tough times. Nick McLeod and Cordell Flott. Nick McLeod, mm-hmm. uh, you know, knew DeMar Hamlin uh, personally. He was very vocal about that, I believe, in the locker room all week and, you know, whatever. Um, perhaps playing with a little bit of extra fire, or maybe is just getting more comfortable in Wink Martindale's defense because he looks very excellent coming in on corner blitzes. Mm-hmm. Um, in this game, he had one and a half sacks. Um, he also had a uh, pass defense too, which almost looked like a pick um, coming in off the edge as well. I thought he looked really good. Cordell Flott is another one where I was really excited about the pick, but I didn't think he was even going to play at all this year. Or if he did, it would mm-hmm. be kind of like here and there. Situational. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's super duper young. He's very, very light. I mean, you could, that's just like the casual fan can see that on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this game, he had some strong downhill plays. He's looking more and more comfortable in coverage. He had a great blanket coverage on AJ Brown on a comeback route. Um, he had. There was a, a play in which Devontae Smith called or, or caught a touchdown, but it was called back due to, I think, an eligible man downfield. Yes. He was in coverage on that, and so that sounds bad. But on that play, he had good coverage. It was just a better catch. Right. Um, he had his hand right in there to make a play on the ball. He had another play where he had a, did a good job to fight through a block, almost had a forced fumble on, De, on a Devontae Smith like tunnel screen. Mm-hmm. Um, he did knock it out of his hands. He just kind of bobbled it and caught it. So it's whatever. I, I think in three years, you know, right now we're talking about what are we going to do next year? You know, uh, are we going to keep Adoree Jackson? Can we afford him? Uh, what are we going to do across from him? 
I think Cordell Flott might solve some of those problems in a couple of years. Not in one year. I don't expect him to make some massive jump next year, but I think by this time next year, we'll feel more and more comfortable about Cordell Flott on this team. Yeah, I mean, get through a full off-season, you know, training program that you know put some bulk on him. He's like you said, he's he's pretty light, pretty uh, paper thin. So let's let's get him, you know, into the program another year, another a year of confidence going through off-season OTAs and training camp and all that stuff, and a uh, little more responsibilities next year. And uh, you know, I. Again, another another case where you draft somebody at the time when you draft him, you don't expect to have the success that we have right now. So everything see, feels like it has to be accelerated and like, well, we need this guy right now. But the plan when we drafted him was a little bit of a development piece. So we have to kind of reconcile those things going forward because next year, the expectations on this team are going to be sky high. And, you know, will the patience be there? And I'm not talking just the fans, but you know, for the coaching staff, for the front office to keep waiting for, you know, and which is not his fault, but just, you know, that was the plan. So that's, these would be interesting things to see, you know, in this off season and into next year. Last thing I want to talk about, Micah McFadden had an insane day. Uh, mm-hmm. Seven tackles, six of them are solo, a sack, two tackles for a lost quarterback hit. I saw a lot of people hinting that he might have been able to play a little bit more free because of Jared Davis on the field, former Florida Gator. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, once a Gator, always a Gator. So, so okay. Um, tell that to Janoris Jenkins. Well, let's be throw you off. Um, this, I mean, I was expecting very little from Jared Davis in this game. He's been here for like a cup of coffee so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was a little hit or miss, but – there was some encouraging stuff in there. There was a huge play to destroy a block on a wide receiver screen that was wide open. And if he didn't do that, it was going in a distance. Or I don't know about the distance, but it was going, going, it was for, going for a, a distance. big chunk play. And he yeah. blew up the play, kind of held onto the shoe, let somebody else make the tackle. I think it was Dane Belton or something like that. Or a couple of plays where he read it so fast that he was through the hole before the running back got there and ended mm-hmm. up whiffing on the play. My question to you is this, and we have briefly talked about this. The Giants were pretty vigilant in trying to get him. Multiple times throughout the year, they were calling to try and get him. Um, And they ended up acquiring him very, very, very late in the season. Do you believe that they thought that he would make a a good enough piece? Do you think that they thought enough of him to want him for 2023 not necessarily as a starter, but to compete. They really wanted to see what he could do to compete in this defense, maybe for some sub-package playing time or maybe for starting time. I think that's a secondary reason why they got him. I think they need him for right now, but the the potential to go into camp and to provide at least a depth piece, I think made it an extra attraction and maybe an extra incentive to make sure they locked, they you know got him. But I think they were looking at this year. That's interesting to me because to look at this year, they were only guaranteed two games, I think, at the time in which they signed him. They hadn't clinched a playoff spot yet. Mm-hmm. So to to go out of their way, I mean, you know he's not doing anything for that first game. You're not going to have him long enough to teach him anything. Well, what did he sign? Like how long of it? Was it just for this year? Yeah, or? it was a one-year deal. Okay. But, I mean, I guess that kind of gets him in the building, lets you look at him, get a good feel for it. I don't know. 
I don't know, Let's just, put it this way. It's just I don't so think there's late be... in the year to, to get a guy that they have been trying to get all year. It's just an interesting scenario to me. That's yeah, all. I mean, I don't think there's going to be suitors lined up outside the door as soon as this contract is over, like for next year. But um, I, I think, you know, he, he plays a little this year. Maybe he has a little bit of an impact. They, he, they like each other. He likes being here. We like him. It definitely gets him on the fast track to a roster spot next year. And who knows? If he's not a starter, he's a rotational guy. So it's possible. Yeah, I don't know. I just, like I said, it's just a curious move to happen this late in the year. Um, if, if if they weren't pursuing him for such a long chunk of time, I probably wouldn't think that much of it. But I do. I wonder why it didn't happen. For so, like, I mean, it's not like he's trying to pursue something that's such a, you know. I, th- I think he really thought that he was going to get time in Detroit and wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, I think something happened where they put him on the practice squad. And uh, when the Giants came calling, he just decided enough was enough. Okay. Uh, from what I, it, it's, he's been here for a couple weeks. We haven't talked about it. We meant to. It just wasn't super important and our episodes are running long. So right. I, d- I did know and I kind of forget, but it was something along the lines of that. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm not going to get into any talk about Minnesota yet because we have a whole episode to do that on Friday morning that will be available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, YouTube. But I do want to talk about the playoff picture. Any surprises, anything in there that you're worried about? Who is the scariest team in the NFC and who would you like to play the most? after the Vikings, if you can. Oh, if I had my choice, I'd like to play, obviously, Tampa Bay or Seattle <laughs> would be the ones. Probably Tampa Bay, I think. I, I just think that team stinks. I think... Uh, it's a satisfying know. win, too. Oh, of course. I mean, to have, you know, get get that third postseason victory over Tom Brady would be would be really nice. Um, no, I, I just don't think they're that good of a team, you know, I have a lot of friends who are Buccaneer fans and I, you know, I'm on their text strings and I hear for two hours and 45 minutes every single Sunday, how awful this team is, how bad the defense is, how bad the coaching is, how bad the offense, Brian Ruff, which is his offensive coordinator, how nobody does anything. They look at the score and they win. Like what, what what's going on? I mean, it's because of Tom Brady. Um, well, that's what makes this interesting to me is like, I, I sort of agree with you, but also I'm curious as to what he would look like against Wink Martindale's defense. I think if we can get pressure on him, I think it'd be horrible. I think he's a guy now that just does not want to get hit anymore. Uh, he has an extremely fast release because he doesn't want to, you know, absorb the hits. He doesn't run at all. I think it'd, it'd be a massive problem. Their offensive line is banged up. Um, that, that's another big reason why I'd like to match. Again, of course, we probably wouldn't match up with them until – unless we were both in the a- NFC championship game. Um, so, you know, of reasonable teams that we would play, you know, the team that I fear the most would still be San Francisco. Um, I fear their pass rush. I fear, you know, they, I fear the tight end. I fear Christian McCaffrey. You know, I just think that, I think that's a matchup, a real matchup problem, San Francisco. Um, I don't. I don't think we match up well with Dallas either. I'm not super no. scared of Dallas, but I just, I don't like that for us. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
I think you know now we're getting into the playoffs and now we're playing good teams, really good teams. So we we shouldn't be good matchups against any of these. I mean, we you know we said it two years ago that we'd be in the playoffs. We're not really a playoff team. Well, yeah, we are a playoff team this year, but I, I you know let's let's keep our feet on the ground here. I don't think we're a Super Bowl favorite. You know, it'd be nice to make a run and you know do some damage, but uh, you know when you're talking about the San Francisco's and the Phillies and the Buffalo's and the Kansas cities. Those are teams that have a real, real chance at winning the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm not saying we have no chance, but I'm going to Vegas. I'd probably put my money on those teams, but that's okay. That's because okay. This conversation 365 days ago was, uh, you know, firing everybody <laughs> and you don't know what's going to happen. So that's, that is absolutely correct. But instead, last, last thing, last thing before go ahead, we go, go uh, do you want to talk coach of the year real quick? Mm, I feel like we kind of did already. I don't really have anything more to add. You got something to add to it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the question is really coach of the year. Is it Brian Dable or is it Doug Peterson? I think. You don't think what, Dan Campbell's in the mix? I think he's in the mix, but. Uh, Not making you know, the playoffs. Kicks Jacksonville won their division after having the number one pick last year. The Giants were, you know in the abyss and made the playoffs. Um, uh, they made all those free agent signings and they had Trevor Lawrence anyway. And people act like Trevor Lawrence wasn't really, really good just because Urban Meyer fucked him over and was a shitty coach. Yep, That's true. But still, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I, I think he's a legitimate candidate. It's just, I don't know. I think Brian Dable has had the least amount to work with. Yeah. And that's I'll, the argument for Dable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we say that now, but in in six years, if if Daniel Jones is like still a top ten or whatever quarterback in the league, are we maybe retrospect is uh, I don't know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, but if he was the guy who unlocked that, then you know he gets the credit for that too. So guess so. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, I think it's I know a lot of Giant fans think it's a slam dunk that Brian Dable is coach of the year, but I'd say, well, let's think about this first and don't forget what Jacksonville did because it's, I was watching the end of that game and, you know, from being, you know, sort of from that area, you know, around the time when the team started to seeing, you know, the excitement really in one year, you know, again, a little over a year ago, they were excited for getting Urban Meyer and they, they've been through the ringer and back in 12 not even two years, and now to see them very excited, I think he gets a lot of credit. And don't forget, I hate that fucker too. It's not like I'm a, on the uh, the Peterson bandwagon at all. I'm just you know trying to give credit where credit's due. I get you. Yeah. Um. Next time you hear from us will be Friday morning when we talk about the most important game of the year, the Wild Card Weekend against Minnesota Vikings, and uh, you know where to find us: Twitter, YouTube. Um, SoundCloud, Google Play. You know where to find us. You know where to tell friends where to go. Until then, go Giants. Giants. Let's go!